Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us here on The Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. When you have a question for me, go to clark.com ask. Coming up in just a few minutes, how many dietary supplements and herbal remedies are you taking? There's something you need to do. Need to do? You need to know if you're taking those. And coming up later, the SAT has implemented a new system that basically scores you taking into account your background. I want to talk about that. So there is a shift that I didn't see coming. Uh, I don't know any economist saw it coming, but mortgage rates this year have, and it's a jagged line, but the trend has been down at a time that it looked like rates would be headed up. And so there is a double window of opportunity here because of the decline in rates that was unanticipated. First, for you, if you are in the market to buy a home, we're in a position now where there is a larger than normal spread from lender to lender on rates. Usually there will be lenders that have better rates than others, but the, the gap, based on the same credit score, of the highest 30-year rates, which is what people usually do to buy a home, and the, the lowest that seem to be quoting in the market, is unusually wide right now. Uh, the average for people with decent credit for 30-year loans is hovering around 4%. And that's really great, but that doesn't account for the other expenses, closing costs, and whether they're going to charge you those junk fees known as points. Each point is 1% of the amount of money you're borrowing. The problem with first-time homebuyers, and many times subsequent as well, and I've addressed this before, is that you usually never go to more than one lender for a quote. And that's what I call negotiating with yourself. If you don't survey the market, you are going to clobber your wallet. And unless you hate your wallet and hate your financial future, never, 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 not ever go to one of the big banks to get a mortgage quote. Waste of your money and time. Where you should go, very heavily different than the past, is to credit unions. Credit unions were an insignificant factor in the mortgage market a decade ago, and now we're a huge force. You should also look at mortgage brokers or mortgage bankers. The terms used interchangeably, even though those are different things. And if your real estate agent gives you a referral to somebody, get a quote from them. If you're a USAA member, get a quote from USAA. The more you shop the market, the better you're going to do. But I have one rule I want you to think about, and that is... With a purchase loan where you're buying a home, I'd like for you to deal with somebody local. Refis, who cares? But when you're doing a purchase, I'd like for you to have somebody on the ground that you can deal with if you're having a problem. But remember, as you compare rates from place to place, the interest rate alone is not enough. You have to find out 
if you're going to have to pay those junk fees called points and how much and what the closing costs are going to be. For refis, which this is the first significant window we've had in a good while where there are people who could benefit from a refi if you'll go to a 15-year loan because the spread between 15s and 30s is now back to a more normal kind of spread. You get about a six-tenths of a point lower rate on that 15-year loan versus a 30. Average in the country is 3.4, 3.5, somewhere in there, depending on whose um, survey you believe. And if you're going to stay in your home a substantial number of years and you have a good credit score, this may be an opportunity for you to shave years off your loan and pay a lower interest rate to boot. Jim joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jim. Yeah, hi, Clark. Thanks for having me. Sure, Jim. So you have somebody who you haven't been able to convince that they should not become a lawyer. That would be my significant other. That's correct. Yes. So how do you feel about the quest to become a lawyer? Well, she's also a CPA, so I guess we're going to have all her bases covered when she gets done with everything. What a brainiac. I have a nephew who is both a CPA and a lawyer. And it has been such a booster shot to his career. It's amazing having the dual professional skills. And he has had a career that has rocketed. And he's in his um, mid-40s now. And what he's accomplished is just breathtaking. Well, she just finished up her second year, and she has one more year to go, and it's time to kind of start looking for jobs after college. So we're trying to figure out what that right uh, combination of of her skills might be in the job market. So that's the thing we're looking for right now. So uh, you're trying to figure out that matrix, how the, um, the CPA and the law fits together. Has she right. has she gone to talk to any of her law school professors for guidance on that? Not. Uh, she's kind of an oddball, just given her background. They don't traditionally see a lot of students that come through that have the kind of skills she does. So she's still kind of searching around, but she has visited with several of them too. I also wonder if any did she work for any of the big accounting firms, or what did she do with her CPA? Uh, she worked in auditing for about five years. All right. Is she and friendly with anybody in management where she used to work in auditing? Yes. Because I think that um, talking to people in industry is going to be so important for her to try to figure out where do you take this leg up she has on other graduates next year? Where do you take that leg up? to find the best opportunity and the perspective of people in the industry is going to be the most valuable tool for her to try to get that done. You know, she has the ability now in a uh, publicly traded company to be involved in either side, either the finance side or the legal side. And many companies would truly value those skills as they may be proceeding with uh, with a merger or acquiring another entity. She's got the combination of skills that give her 
additional value over someone who just has one or the other. Because having been part of negotiations, selling things and buying them, I can tell you that on the legal side, a lot of times they're kind of clueless on the numbers. And her having that combination of skills, when you get down to some significant negotiations, is enormously valuable. Sure. Well, I'll be sure to share that insight with her. And uh, how does it feel to be married to such a brainiac or or be dating such a brainiac? I don't know which you are with her. Uh, This dating, she's uh, an interesting person to deal with, but I have my background in economics, so we make an odd couple. Another brainiac, huh? Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, when we're kind of sorting through where she's going at in the future, one thing we came across was she has a 401k from her prior employer. It's got about $6,000 in funds, and we looked at the annual expense ratio, and it's over 2% effectively. What? 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 Yeah. Over 2%? What were yeah, they doing so to their employees? Well, it's time to look for a different avenue to put that money in, whether an IRA or, or a Roth IRA at a, uh, one of the lower cost providers for something like that. Well, while her income is depressed while she's in school, this would be, if she right. can afford it, a perfect opportunity to move the money out of the 401k, move it into one of the uh, low cost providers that are my what we call my my favorite children on our investment guide on Clark.com and do the reclassification to Roth, pay the tax that would be owed and what will be such a low tax rate with her being a student. And then that money is reclassified as Roth money. That'd be a great move. And now she'll be, she'll be at expense ratios about one twentieth to one fiftieth of what she's being ripped off at that 401k. Yep. Is there, besides applicable state or federal income taxes, are there any other penalties for moving that money from a 401k to the Roth status of an IRA? No, there's no penalty. So the whole idea is you're generating a perfectly legal reclassification that just generates tax. Okay. And if she was a high income earner, the tax would be significant. But while she's a student, that tax is extremely low. So that is a great move for her to do if she can swing it on the tax next year. Kenneth is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kenneth. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. Thank you. What's going on, Kenneth? Uh, well, I had a question. Um, I recently paid off my car, and it was my oldest um, installment credit on my credit report, and it actually negatively impacted my credit about 40 points, and I was wondering what I could do to 40 get it back points? Up. No. Yes. It's, that's a coincidence. Something it's else coincidence? Something okay. else happened that would not account for a 40-point drop because the history of your successfully paying on that installment loan remains. And well, When I pull up my credit on Credit Karma, it doesn't show it anymore at all. It may that's, be that... Um, that that particular lender does not report status of loans that have been paid off. Mm-hmm. But that would, be, like uh, that would be unusual. Now, Credit Karma, you have access to, what, Experian and TransUnion? 
Uh, Equifax and, and Experian, if I remember okay. right. Okay. All right. Whichever yeah. the two are, I'm going by memory. Is it has it vanished on both of those or just one? Yes, both. That is so odd. Yeah, I thought it would stay on there as a positive, you know, paid off account, you know, paid in full. Which it didn't. absolutely should. And I've never heard somebody tell me what you're telling me. That is really something. Now, what is, um, so it is TransUnion and Equifax are the two. Or yes. That are on. Pretty sure. That, that's the two. We just looked at it on Credit Karma. So what is that number that is down a pretty significant 40 points? What are you at? Uh, around 760. It fluctuates. You know how you know different factors change it day to day. So once you're, even though that's a, a body blow dropping from around 800 to 760, it, I don't know how much of a factor it would be that they've deleted that loan. Weird. But at those numbers, your numbers are so solid, you can borrow anything you want at the most favorable rates with a credit score of 760 or above. Okay. Anything um, anything above 760, it's basically bragging rights. Okay. <laughs> so you're doing very well with credit, and that's distressing to me that that loan has gone into thin air, and your your score should be fine over time. And the best way to get it, if you want to get it higher, but you're already great is for you to reduce how much of your available credit you're using on credit cards. The more you drive that down, the more that should put your score back up towards 800 or so. Today's Clark Rageous moment is a special heads-up warning for you, and it involves dietary supplements. There are massive numbers of us as Americans that take dietary supplements. I know people who take as many as 10 different dietary supplements every day and there are many believers in the the uh, medical benefits the health benefits to you of taking dietary supplements but it is a bit of a loose cannon marketplace companies that market things as dietary supplements do not have to get the supplement they want to put on the market pre-approved. It is a deregulated market for placing items on the market. It's only after the fact, after people's health may have been harmed by something with impure ingredients or uh, ingredients that are not actually allowed in dietary supplements, that the FDA can, after the fact, act to remove things. The FDA generally follows a process where even while companies are still continuing to push them on those uh, TV ads that talk about what a miracle this particular item is, or push them on the internet or wherever, the FDA sends warning letters. And so the companies, if they know they're up to no good, they just stall and stall and stall, and your health and well-being can be at risk. So The FDA has done something that I love for you if you take dietary supplements. And by the way, I should tell you, they just issued warnings about two particular ingredients that are showing up in dietary supplements that are both illegal and very dangerous. And it is something that you should know 
that things being sold specifically to treat anxiety or as sleep aids as herbal remedies many times will have substances that are considered to be illegal. Others are illegal stimulants that are being sold in some in uh, herbal remedies and dietary supplements. So now the FDA has a new online tool that you can see at FDA.gov that will let you know it's called the Dietary Supplement Ingredient Advisory List. That's a mouthful, but we have a link to it at Clark.com, and you can check out the ingredients of any dietary supplement you're taking, at least what's listed on the label, and see if there's danger to you in taking any of those ingredients. Thanks for taking time out of your day to be with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about your your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com is where you go to find the deals, the bargains, around the clock every day of the year. In a practice that is considered to be controversial, the people who run the SAT are now giving every student who takes the test what's being called an adversity score. So that colleges that participate, 150 this year, I think it is, and then it'll be available to whatever colleges want it in a year, it allows them to figure out based on how somebody has grown up as a child, the neighborhood they're in, um, what level of income they are. It allows a school to know what advantages or disadvantages that college applicant has had. Now, this is a really difficult thing. I have a daughter in college, and the college that she attends when she was originally an applicant uses their own method of assigning a score that I think the scale is 0 to 9.99, and it's based on the financial advantage that an applicant may have as an applicant going to college. And the highest score you can have, meaning you have enormous advantage growing up, is a 9.99, and that's what she was. And so I don't know if that score only affected what financial aid package she'd get, if any, or if it also affected how they decide at her college whether or not she's accepted. But I believe, and I know this is a controversial area, but I believe that one of the great things we've had historically as a country is economic mobility, where someone who grows up poor has the opportunity to become someone who in their lifetime may become very comfortable or wealthy. In recent decades, as education has become the key dividing line in society, people who grow up poor are not breaking out of being poor as adults for the most part because there's not equality and opportunity for education. When we were a society that was all about initiative and hard work, and that was enough, it was much easier for people to be economically mobile, even if they came from humble beginnings. 
Today, there are still people who do remarkable things growing out of harsh environments, violent backgrounds, um, divided families, impoverished families. There are still people who break through and do phenomenal things, but now it's more the rare exception instead of a common thing. So when I think about the whole idea of adversity score, what I would really like to see us do is something different. And that is that if people are from a heavily impoverished background, that college be accessible to those high school seniors at essentially no cost. That that would be, to me, instead of deciding who you're going to admit based on a score that's always going to be controversial, instead of what we're really trying to do is see that people from abject poverty, growing up in abject poverty, have a chance to a higher education, which is the absolute key to people being more financially successful, then I think we should give them the opportunity to go to college. Maybe it's a, not a sleepaway school. Maybe it's a local college, commuter college. But free education is something I think that should be offered to people who otherwise have two hands tied behind their backs. I appreciate your responses. The place to go is clark.com slash clarkstinks. And Krista will be happy to read your frustration, upset, or anger with me about what I've just said about college. Jenny is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Clark. Thanks for talking with me. Sure, Jenny. You are about to have your life complete. I mean, to this moment, (laughs) your life has been missing something. It's been like an aching inside. And what is now going to lead you to this new, greater life. We're finally getting a Costco in our city. Yeah, you know, if a place didn't have a Costco, I just couldn't live there. You know, I even, uh, the dog's now deceased, but we had a dog that I named Costco Wholesale. (laughs) Cool. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about. You were still really up on them, and I wanted to know if when they open a store, if they usually have deals on the credit card and the membership, and should I go on and get a credit card now and unfreeze the credit or wait and see what they've got? No, definitely uh, wait to see what deals are offered for you um, when they first open. And so the the grand opening special offers are really pretty good, especially how far are you from the nearest community that has a Costco? I don't know. We're in Evansville, Indiana, so it'd probably be Louisville or Indianapolis or St. Louis. Because the further you are from the next store, the likelier it is that they'll do a big splash to try to get the members Mm -hmm. to sign up. Oh, cool. Okay. So So it's still a good deal in that membership? The membership's uh, really expensive. Membership's $60 a year. And so it's like, wow, that's big money. How could it possibly be worth it? So the neat thing with Costco is if you join and you're like, that Clark, he has no idea what he's talking about. I don't see why he was so excited about this place. 
at any point in the year, you can walk back into membership and say, I'm not really finding this to be for me, and they'll give you your money back. Yeah, well, good. But okay. I'm, I, I love, uh, you know, their credit card. I don't mm-hmm. know if you eat out much, but you get 3% cash back on every meal you eat, 3% ah. back on any travel, 4% back on gasoline, 2% back for anything you buy in the store, and 2% cash back for anything that you buy at Costco.com. And the card has oh. no annual fee. Oh, that's good. Okay. Uh, if you want to know oh, what they usually good. offer to people when a store opens in what's called mm-hmm. in retail an island market, when it's isolated from where there's been one before, they usually tend to offer something like maybe a $20 cash card that defrays a portion of the first year's membership. Um, mm-hmm. They may offer some, you know, a free pizza or a free, um, they're really big on their rotisserie <laughs> chicken, so they may offer okay. you one of those. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, I've heard you talk about them quite a bit. Wanted to make sure you still felt the same. All right, so I got a tip for you also. If you do join, Jenny, all right, so when a new Costco opens, takes them a while to get enough of a membership base to get volume up. So a new store in the first year will have quite a bit of what I call 97s. Those are clearance items. When it goes to uh, ending in a price ending in 97 cents, that means Costco's having to get rid of it and they're selling it below their cost. And when a store is a baby, when it's in its uh, new life, that's when they tend to move merchandise more slowly and the early members who get in there and look around and look for the 97s, they get a deal better than Costco. They get Costco on clearance. I don't like the place at all, do I? Linda's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Linda. Hi, Clark. Thank you so much for taking my question. Certainly, Linda. What's going on? Tulsa loves you. Tulsa loves you. I want you to know that right off. Well, thank you. (laughs) Well, my you know you have you have one of those newer Costco's, and I loved shopping at it when it was brand new because you could pull up right to the door and go inside, and now. You have to fight for a space in the parking lot on the weekends. That is so true. Well, my question is about life insurance. My husband and I are dealing with the issues right now with my mom, who's 90, who didn't take care of all of her things, you know, her plans. And my husband and I have had a life insurance policy for a few years. And we were talking about, do we need it? We don't have any debt, and we're thinking about prepaying for all of our final expenses. So we're, what would happen to the life insurance policy? So the purpose of the life insurance policy primarily is replacement of income. If, uh, if with one of you gone, the other doesn't have enough money to live on, or if both of you are gone, there was somebody who depends on you for income. If there's no situation like that, then life insurance may not hold a useful role in your life. So is this a whole life policy? Is this a term policy? No, it's a term life. And I actually, I think the problem is with a lot of people, including me and my husband, it's an issue you really don't want to 
talk about very much. So we've just always had a life insurance policy since the kids were little, and we've still had it all these years. But the one that we just got is a term life for 25 years, and mine would, like, expire when I'm 87. And if I live as long as my mom, it was time out, and it wouldn't be worth anything. <laughs> so I'm like, well, we'll just cancel that. So wait, wait, wait. That's actually a good problem to have. You, you know, if somebody's taking their last breath, they don't say, yippee, that life insurance policy is finally going to pay off. <laughs> I know. Insurance is like that. Well, my mom's 90, and my policy would, like, expire when I'm 87, so there's a good chance I could live to be 90. Sure, but, but it's a term I... life. It's not costing you a big amount of money. So then I go, no. I, then I go full circle again. Are there, uh, are there kids you'd want to have benefit of that? If you did die while that term was in place up to age 87, or they all set and they don't, uh, even though they might like some money falling out of the sky, they don't need it. They just want no. you to live and enjoy your life. Absolutely. So if it's, if it's the latter, there may not be any real need for that. And when you talk about uh, taking care of things at the end, I love the way you said that. You're talking about uh, funeral, talking about burial, things like that. Those don't have to cost a lot. Uh, we traditionally think of us as, ourselves as sitting ducks when a loved one dies and we start scrambling to make arrangements. But I don't know if you've ever heard me talk about the advantage of joining a funeral or a memorial society. No, I haven't. If you check out funerals.org, I don't know if there's a chapter near you these are nonprofits that use essentially group buying power to usually get people somewhere between a 40 and 70 percent discount on what you'd normally pay for final arrangements well let me tell you this my husband and i are not super materialistic people and we don't really care what happens to us after we're gone i think we're both going to be cremated so make sure your make sure your kids know that and by the way if that is your choice with the uh, uh, memorial societies, you're going to be able to save a lot of money by having a cremation done through their arrangements rather than your kids scrambling and trying to figure that out. Well, that is good to know. And we wanted to save, I guess the main reason we're doing this is we want to save our children the job of dealing with this when they're grieving. All right, so what you do... Go ahead, and if you, if you do want to join the Memorial Society and use their platform, do it, join it. They're really cheap to join for a lifetime membership. And right. Do you, do you have this information on your website? Yes, but just go to funerals.org and you'll see it. And okay. then send a letter to all your kids telling them, hey, this is what we want, this is what we've done, don't worry about it, um, it's enough to deal with one of us passing away you don't have to make these decisions we've done it for you and that way it works so much better than kids in sadness or in guilt or whatever trying to figure out what in the world you'd want make sure they know up front eric is with us on the clark howard show hi eric hi clark how are you great thank you eric you are a loyal credit union member and now they're throwing you a curveball that you want to find out if it's good or bad for you. What's the story? 
Yeah, that's correct. I received a letter in the mail from my local credit union, and they are asking us to vote for a conversion from a state-chartered credit union to a federally-chartered credit union. And I went online and did a little bit of research, and all I could really find was, uh, I guess, the insurance on our accounts would change to federal from whatever the state current insurance is, but I couldn't find anything else. And I was curious if there was anything I needed to be aware of. Well, first, that's that's so great, because I was certain you were going to tell me the opposite, because I've had a number of calls from people where the credit union was doing the, the reverse that is potentially very harmful to their membership, where they were dumping NCUA, the federal insurance, um, and going to some form of state guarantee fund, and it's much more secure for your funds for it to be under the federal insurance umbrella than any kind of state guarantee association. So okay, that good. is well, that, and enough. I assume that's how they explained it, but did they explain it? Well, the way it? they explained it was uh, they were limited by their current charter on their ability to grow outside of our, I guess, the state, and they wanted to explore some other growth options for the, for the credit union was the way it was explained in the letter. Well, that, that makes sense. There's been uh, a lot of consolidation with credit unions where credit unions have had trouble, the smaller they are, at getting all the technology that people in their uh, teens, 20s, and 30s expect with being able to do okay. everything on their smartphone. And right. when credit unions bulk up and do mergers and, and grow some, then they have the resources spread across a larger member base to do those technological improvements that if they're going to have as much success in the future with people coming up now as they've had in the past, they're going to need to be able to do this technology thing. And that's why credit unions have to bulk up, merge up. And this is a really positive merger or move in your case, because it means you're going to have much better peace of mind on the money that you have on deposit. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.